Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek all new observations and data. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication known as the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $18 a year. For more information, visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find the ALPO on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now episode 90. With Zane, and we're going to talk about telescope building. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. I'm uh, very pleased today to have Zane Landers with us. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Zane. Hi, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, now why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself before we get started? Sure. So um, my name is, again, Zane Landers. I live in uh, Connecticut, and I've been uh, into astronomy for about four, a little over four years now, and my my uh, main interest is on deep sky observing and telescope making, but I also do a fair amount of planetary observing when, I, when the skies permit, which hasn't been for a while uh, when it comes to planet season and trees. And uh, I, I also am a, a big um, writer on a lot of the astronomy f- websites. Yeah, you came to my attention on the Cloudy Night website. You wrote an article about uh, a look at future amateur telescope makers. And that really got me interested because I did not know there were future amateur telescope makers out there. Yeah, I, I actually didn't for a while. Um, so my... My interest in in making uh, scopes sort of started as a financial thing, because back when I was fourteen, I didn't have enough money to go out and buy a six inch daub just at at once, and I wasn't I wasn't really confident about shopping used and whatnot at the time. Mm-hmm. So I sort of came up with it as a way to distribute the spending, and uh, also just to have a fun project for myself, and that 
that sort of extended to um, and helping to satisfy my aperture fever. And now I'm back sort of making uh, scopes at really fast focal ratios for some reasons I can explain later. Okay. So you are in business to make telescopes? No. Oh, no. okay. No, no, no. Right. I, I actually did think about it and I had a booth at Neef for it. Oh, wow. But there was no interest. And then I realized that there was not a great way to make money off it. Uh, if you look at even uh, Rob Teeter is shutting down his uh, custom dot business because the margins on it now are just too thin to do as a business. Yeah, that's true. Especially you can't compete with the Chinese China. very yeah. much. Yeah. Now, okay. You said you got into it when you were 14 and that was like three years ago. Yeah. I, I got into telescope making when I was 14. My okay. fir- I got my first telescope for Christmas when I was actually, I was almost 13. I was 12. Uh, and it was a little four inch Maxutov on a go-to mount, the Celestron oh. 4SE. A nice okay. scope, but yeah. not really great for a beginner because the field of view is really tiny. The aperture small. And in practice, it, it really, it performs like a, it's really not much better than a good two and a half inch refractor when it comes to deep sky or even just planets. It wasn't, it wasn't much better than a 60 millimeter refractor, honestly, because it's got an undersized primary and an obstruction okay. and it was heavy. Actually yeah. the mount mounts really overbuilt and uh, setting it up took forever. Okay. Now how old are you? Uh, right now I'm 17. My birthday was a couple weeks ago. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah, you are uh, the youngest person I've had on the podcast so far. So that's 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 nice. It's it's we are looking for people to take over for us gray hairs who are in the hobby who have been in it forever. Yeah, and it's real. It was really refreshing to read your article, and I highly recommend anybody out there. Most yeah. amateur astronomers do have um, our, our member of Cloudy Nights jump on there, and you were right on the top of it too. So yeah, the article system that, that on Cloudy Nights, I, I don't want to divulge too much, but if you have something that's worth that you think is worth being published on there, it's actually just a simple submission process to get it put up there. There's, there's not a whole lot that's complicated for it. And I, I really encourage writing articles in there. When the site started, there used to be a ton of just mm-hmm. random little bits. And right. Like right now there's an ongoing series, about a guy who worked at the Arizona mirror lab, it's really great. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's not super intense. You can really write whatever you want as long as it's good or at least you think it's good and put it up there and you have a huge audience and it's, right. it's pretty casual. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now who influenced you in, in astronomy to just to start with? I think my fur, my first uh, real, real influence was probably uh, watching uh, Carl Sagan's cosmos when I was, when I was little in the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson version. And though those were really, those were really, um, fun for fun for me and really informative and another big one was uh was actually i i stumbled upon the john dobson youtube video uh well before i bought my first telescope on where he makes he goes and makes a 16 inch and even though i i didn't really at the time think i was capable of of making one it was like oh there's this crazy there was this admittedly (laughs) kind of crazy guy yes there was you know (laughs) making it making a mirror out of a porthole and putting it in a in a uh, 10 foot tall monstrosity that looks like it costs almost nothing. That's true. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that right now, but that that's cool. It's cool that, you know, you can do this. I was like, Hey, maybe this is simpler than I thought. And the thing that really got me to buy a telescope was um, the lunar eclipse back in 2015. And after that, I was just like, Oh, I need a telescope. And I followed all of the salesmen 
on picking one, and that's how I ended up with the four-inch Maxutov. Oh, okay. Not a wise yeah. choice. Yeah, I, I'm in Southern California, and John would always come out, John Dobson would come out to the Riverside Telescope Makers Convention that was held out in Big Bear out here. Mm. And so I met him on a number of occasions and seeing what he huh. would do. And he was he would always hold telescope-making workshops with his San Francisco sidewalk astronomers. Really wonderful guy. Really, and a little mm. crazy, but wonderful guy. Yeah. I, I wish I could have met him. Yeah. yeah he's, he, he, I think he would have liked you. <laughs> yeah, everyone so, tells me that who's met him. <laughs> So, uh, how about telescope making where did the, that, that, that drive came from watching that Dobson video? It came from the, the Dobson video was a big one for me. And then, uh, I think I just, I don't remember where I got my copy of it, but I, I somehow got a copy of, uh, Jean Texero's how to make a telescope. And then I think I stumbled upon Richard Berry's build your own telescope. And, uh, okay. you know, even though a lot of the stuff in there is kind of outdated, it was just, it was it was interesting to me because it's, it made it seem a lot more simple. And then there was this, uh, there's this, I think he, he died a while ago, but there's this guy, Bereslav B something. I don't remember who had a site that I, I just stumbled upon and it had this thing on making a, uh, a Dobsonian actually out of particle board. Oh, wow. And, uh, I, and so I got a six inch F eight mirror set actually in, uh, in 2016 and I tried to make put it in a tube and uh, make a tube cradle for it, and the the particle board kept breaking like cardboard. And mm-hmm. I I also was uh, using an oversized tube that didn't actually fit the box, so I gave up on that for a year. And I put the optics from that in a uh, an Edmund six incher that was missing the mirrors, and I used that for a while. And then I I had an eight inch SCT that replaced that with really bad optics. And then after that, I I just said to myself, okay, uh, I don't like the heavy cast iron Edmund scopes. I don't like the the mead with its terrible optics and I don't really like the look of these particle board dob mounts either. Let's make a mirror. And so I did. I <laughs> I I tried to make a six inch F eight and that went pretty well until I used 50 year old pitch, which is the stuff you use uh, to make the polishing lap. Right. The thing is that pitch, uh, the the ingredients in it boil off over time. You can't use pitch that's typically more than five years old without at least adding some uh, turpentine or something to it. I thought olive oil would do the trick, and I had no idea how much to add. And I ended up making a pitch slap that was like, it had the consistency of putty, more or less. I have a video somewhere. So like when you pressed on it with your finger, it didn't just dent a little bit. Like you could mold it with your hands. It was like Play-Doh. And I thought that was fine. (laughs) and uh it wasn't fine because one day it was a little warm in the garage and it got stuck to the mirror oh my goodness and rather than do the 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 normal approach of leaving it out in the sun to just completely melt it i proceeded to try to hammer the mirror off and i put some pretty big chips in it and then i just said to myself yeah no i'm not going to finish this Hmm. and that was it for a couple of months and then i went to stellophane and a guy this guy dave grosky really great mirror maker, really great guy offered me a, a six inch F five that had been uh, diamond ground to F five or so. And then I, I went home and within about three weeks after Stellophane, I had ground polished and figured the entire thing into a mirror and got it illuminized. Oh, wow. Fantastic. I worked like nine to five, seven days a week for two weeks, just in my basement, grinding that thing. Wow. And it's it's the only mirror I've actually done successfully. 
Okay. And it came out at about a sixth or seventh of a wave, but it's F it's F four, a little over a hair over F four. So for first mirror, um, I think I did pretty well on it. And it's it's sitting in a drawer right now. I put it in a scope for around a year. Mm-hmm. Uh but the problem was always getting it to balance with heavy eyepieces and uh just lack of time and interest and I had interest in bigger scopes. Okay. Now, going back to your article for a minute, you mentioned in it that there's a rise in interest in telescope building. Now, yeah, I, I I read that and I was taken aback because living out here in Southern California, oh. I don't see that. And in fact, the Riverside Telescope Maker Convention yeah. no longer exists. I mean, they well, stopped think, it last year. So I think, yeah, and that's a shame. I, I from uh, yes. what I've read about RTMC, it seems to have not been uh, a lack of interest so much as uh administrative difficulties with it and mm-hmm. they've talked about having something similar again uh yeah i i mean i went to it for 27 straight years and then the one year they moved it off memorial day weekend i couldn't go they put it to a weekend that wasn't a holiday weekend. And that was the last one right uh, no that wasn't the last one that was like probably eight or nine years ago I and did it did it move back to memorial day weekend it, it, eventually, it eventually did but at that point i had they gone people away i had gone three years without going back to it and I actually went to it the last year, and it was you know sparsely attended, not nearly like it was in the old days, you know. And mm-hmm. there were a lot. But a big thing there used to be the merit awards, where they would give out awards to people that had built and designed their own telescopes, and that just it wasn't there anymore. So mm-hmm. that was a lot of the interest as well. Yeah, I, I will say I don't know a lot about RTMC, but I've seen a lot more activity ramping up at Stellafane in the past few years. And from what I know about the Oregon Star Party, they're doing pretty well up there. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. The thing that that I've seen, and there was actually funny enough, someone who commented on the article who said this is that young people are very interested in experiences over material things, and he said it as kind of like a a detractor from my whole point. He was basically saying, "Yeah, young people don't make scopes because they're too busy like traveling, or whatever." Did but, he reply, "Okay, boomer." No, I thought about it. I thought about it. I, I've only used that one that term to anybody on the astronomy sites once. It was with a sale where a guy was being really rude. No. I, I try to refrain from stuff like that. Oh, that's good. Um, but the thing is that, you know, it's it's very easy now and very cheap to go and buy a, a dob. You know, it's mm-hmm. you can get an eight inch dob now, new for less than four hundred dollars. I've seen like the Skywatcher one on when it's on sale go for three thirty. And if you look around in like an open box deal or buy it used, you can get you can get an eight inch for like 150 bucks. But the thing with those uh, is, first off, you just you just have it. it. It's done. It works. And I think a lot of people find a lot of young people find that boring. And the other is that there are there's things like the particle board base or the balancing tends to be an issue. Or my my favorite is actually the the bearings. The they used to use real Teflon on mm-hmm. the Orion and Skywatcher Dobbs. They still use Teflon on the Skywatcher altitude bearings, but on the Orion on both axes and on the Skywatcher on the Azimuth, it's just like nylon now. Uh, it's not real Teflon, so it's a little bumpy. And the the GSO Zoom L aperture or whatever you want to call them, which I like better, those have like a ball bearing for the altitude, which is really weird. And the azimuth's a, a roller, like on a like a TV stand. Oh, really? I, I'm not a fan of that. People people say it's good. I don't I don't like it. Huh. It never is quite. It's either always too loose or too tight. But I think it's it's kind of with with scopes today, making it 
especially when they're not really big. When they're really big, there's other arguments. But with the smaller scopes, making them is kind of like the difference between building a PC or buying a PC. You buy a PC, it's more or less guaranteed to work out of the box, and you might even get better value technically for the money. But in practice, building one is probably still a better idea, and it's not that hard. I've sort of done it with my brother. I don't, and I I don't know a lot about building PCs. It's I'd say building a PC is actually a little easier than making a scope, but not by much. And I think if you can build a PC, you can make a scope. And a lot of people build PCs. Yeah, the thing with building a telescope, especially if you're doing the optics, it's patience, mm-hmm. and that's and that's the thing. Yeah. Now. And so with the advance, let's talk about the advances in technology today as opposed to 25 years ago when Dobson was making his telescopes. I mean, how has it affected builders of today? Yeah, well, I think a big one, I I didn't mention this in the article a whole lot because I I thought it would bore people. Everyone who read it, uh, I had read it before I submitted it, said you should cut that out, but (laughs) is uh, the testing, optical testing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Dobson had, he introduced the star test, but the star test is still an issue because what what he would do is he'd have the mirrors in like a, a hinged tailgate so you could literally polish the mirror while it was in the scope. So you'd, you'd point it at a star or a telephone pole, then get like a, po- a small polishing lapper, put cerium oxide in your finger, polish it a little in one area, and then seal it back up and look at the, the star or the pole again. But that has a lot of limitations uh, and it's just generally annoying. So in practice, you always ended up using the Foucault test. I did not use the Foucault test at any point on my first mirror because I do not understand how to do it. I still don't fully understand it. There's software that makes it easier, but personally, I I, I would disregard it entirely. I'm probably going to make a lot of people angry saying that. But the thing is that there's now the Ronke uh, testing method, which has always been around. But the thing is that uh, Ronke screens are really hard to make unless you have a good printer or can buy them online, which you can do both of now. Uh, and also a good way to simulate the exact Ronke curves needed, which Mel Bartels has a really great little simulator that allows you to calculate that. And that was how I made my mirror. The other uh, testing method that exists is uh, bath interferometry. So I, I honestly don't understand a lot about inf- interferometry, but the way it works is you have a you have a laser going through like a beam splitter and a little lens, and it gives you uh, fringes, and then you can have a computer program really accurately read the fringes and actually give you a 3D analysis and map of your mirror. Which, if you right. calibrate the the thing right, it is flawless. It's not like the Foucault or Ronke test or even a star test where you're like, I think it's one eighth wave. I think it has this issue. It's like, no, here's what's this is, how good it is. Here, here's how what issues it has. Yeah, I work I work for NASA and on a uh, uh, weather satellite program, and we have a rotating telescope inside of our satellite, mm-hmm. and so we grind the mirror, we use the mirror, and we do interferometry tests to, to check the uh, the the quality of the mirror. So yeah, yeah. The great thing about a bath interferometer though is that now there's got there's they're very easy to make. You can just get some uh, surplus shed lens, like lens and a beam splitter, mm-hmm. and uh, then you have to put an adjustable stage. And I've seen a lot of people just use a Crayford focuser from a telescope for one or make one. And even that, even a buying one's like eighty bucks. And the interferometer is like a day of work to put it together, and it's a little over one hundred and twenty bucks. 
So okay. it's 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 very afford it's pretty affordable and it's not hard to make. Calibrating it's more the issue, but you can. The best way to do that is to have a mirror of known quanti- quality that, or at least that you know, doesn't have astigmatism. Something to compare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned early on that you like looking at deep sky objects and also planets. Now, yeah. Uh, that goes against most telescope builders I've met in my life because. They're telescope builders, which is the cool thing with this hobby is you can get into any part of it you want. You yeah. Can do the astrophotography, imaging, you know, building telescopes and observing with them. And a lot of telescope builders I've met in my life are just that. And that's, yeah. it's, it's interesting to hear that you uh, like looking at deep sky objects and like looking at the planets and things like that. That's good. And I like that. Yeah, I guess as cool as it is to really focus on making a perfect instrument, to me, there's no point in that if all your foc- if one if all you're gonna do is like make it perfect and then use it like to to just verify that it's good and then just like put it on display the rest of the time. To me, a, a telescope should be used, and so I I make a I've made a lot of compromises that a lot of like veteran telescope makers have abhorred just to get the scope working. My my favorite was on my 16 inch that I built the, uh, the rocker box was too short. And back at the time, it was very hard for me to make that rocker box in the first place. And rather than letting the whole, letting it bother me and having to make a new one or anything like that, I just put a giant chain on the back of the scope to balance (laughs) it. And honestly, that worked really well. Hey, if it works, that's yeah, it looked ridiculous. It was at Stellafane even, and people, people laughed and laughed, but, it actually not only was it great just to keep the scope balanced in the first place, but it didn't move at all when you swapped eyepieces and I didn't have to make any effort at having really large bearings or anything to achieve that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of telescopes I remember that were entered in the telescope makers RTMC, they were pieces of furniture. Yeah. I and mean, I, polished oak and cedar and there were, absolutely gorgeous to look at i don't think i ever looked through any of them but i was looking at them they're beautiful telescopes yeah and i i I respect that i've tried Mm -hmm. to get close to that but the thing is that your scope's going to get beat up when you use it it's inevitable so unless you are going to spend all the extra time money and effort of you know wrapping it in bubble wrap when you put it in your car and taking it apart with like the most utmost care imaginable you know, you're not, you're going to end up just using it less or not at all because, and so I, I try, I try to just make it look decent enough, uh, that it like doesn't rot and, you know, (laughs) make it work. And uh, I'll admit my standards have gone up a bit, which is why I move slower now on building things because I am more concerned about appearance, but that's, that's more to reflect the fact that, uh, when I've spent a lot of money on it, I'd like it to look at least passable than necessarily even the how much I I care about it looking. It's just it just seems silly to pour the amount of money that you do and have it look really bad, which True. was how like my my ten inch the paint job is still really bad on. You can't tell yeah. in the photos. You got to remember you're using it at night, so no one's going to yeah. look at it. They want to look through it. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, in, and that that that's what's important to me. You know, looking yeah. through it. Now, in your article, you discuss fellow telescope makers that you've run into how did you meet i mean there's like 10 of them or eight of them something like that there's eight eight, how did you meet these individuals so the funny thing is that a couple of them i kind of convinced to make scopes in the first place some of them would say closer to coerced 
Um, <laughs> but all but one of them I actually met online. Uh, the only one I I didn't meet online was my friend Anton, who he lives up near Boston, and I ran into him uh, at the most recent Stellafane c- convention, and he he had his ten inch dob there. I had like a I had some club scope. I had like a four inch refractor that I, I really hated, but I hadn't had room in the car for whatever reason. And so that was all I had brought. And he had his 10 inch Skywatcher daub there that he was using for the first time. And I, I helped him like collimate that for the first time. And I let him borrow my fancy eyepieces. And then the next morning I helped him with uh, buying some new accessories at, um, at the swap tables. And after that, we start, we started chatting online. He got to know some of my other friends. And he's actually using that mirror I chipped as a blank because uh, oh. I measured that the uh, chips are 120 degrees apart. So if you put it in a mirror cell that has little retaining clips, they're they're hidden under that. Okay. So so out of these eight people, have you met all of them or? No, I've only met Anton. Okay. Um, and I'm actually going to meet my two of my other friends hopefully later this month at the Staunton River Star Party if I go, which I I think I'm going to go. I, I'm not positive at this time. I haven't bought my tickets. Okay, but probably will this week. Well, why don't you talk about uh, the, all the people in your group there and what they're doing, what kind of projects sure. they're working on? So I'll start. I'll start with Anton. So Anton okay. has a a ten inch. So he has a, that ten inch daub right now. He likes it a lot. Um, the problem is that it's it's not the most portable and he he does he does uh travel a fair amount and he was thinking of making a six inch f5 or so for uh as a travel scope and also there's like a he'll tell me it's not a science fair it's some sort of science project at school and he figured hey i can make a scope for this and um it's going to be it's going to be like a travel telescope which he's he hasn't really settled on the design but um we're looking at like a scope on a stick where you just have the optics on like a metal rod and attach that to a oh. tripod. Okay. Very minimalist, but hasn't made up his mind yet. He's still, he's really focused on the mirror. Okay. Uh, and right now he's on one, he's on a 120 grit with it. And I, I suspect, I think he has to have it done by mid May. So it'll be done then. And that'll be at Stellafane. Definitely. No question. He lives closer to Stellafane than even me. Great. I've never been to Stellafane. Oh, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, then the next person who's, who, uh, is working on mirrors is my friend, Aaron Tragel. Aaron lives down in uh, Richmond. We met online. Actually, he's one of my oldest friends. Uh, we met, I think like two years ago, uh, on, uh, on an astrophotography chat. And Aaron at the time was really into imaging cause he has, he had, um, mold in his house that gave him brain damage and audio visual damage. And he, he couldn't, he couldn't see basically. So he used to just observe with a dot with an eight inch dot and he wasn't able to do that for a solid oh, year. He goodness. couldn't, he couldn't see anything other than like the moon through an eyepiece. Oh my. So then, uh, he, he recently started working on the assassin supernova search. He's, uh, actually confirmed three supernova candidates might be more than that. He doesn't really tell us when he does. Oh wow. Um, uh, for the project and he wants to get more integration, more, uh, go deeper with shorter uh, photo integration time. And he has like an F six refractor right now. So he said to me and one of my other friends uh, who I'll talk about in a minute, Hey, uh, I want to make a six inch F three. And as my first mirror and what? <laughs> so 
we're like, okay, that's a little little ambitious, <laughs> but it can be done. Uh, I did an F4. It's it's not actually that big of a stretch from F4 to F3 for a six inch, and even a six inch F3, it's no harder to make a six inch F3 than it is to make like a ten inch F5. And plenty of people, especially like Dobson students, did those just fine on the first try. And he's also we convinced him to do a six inch F5 at the same time so that he could figure the F5 first and get a little practice, and because he wants to have something a little, little longer focal length uh, for galaxies. But uh, he's, he's working on that right now. And uh, he made a machine for that, but he ended up not using it because of uh, issues operating it. Okay. Um, and uh, then the next person who's working on mirrors is my friend Logan Nicholson. Logan lives in Melbourne, Australia. He's my absolute best friend. Uh, and I, I met him at the same time as Aaron on the same chat. And Logan was the first of my friends and the first person my age uh, to start making uh, scopes or mirrors. And he made a 10-inch F5 as his first mirror, which he just refigured and put into a truss scope. And then he did a 6-inch F3. And then I actually paid him to make me a 10-inch F3. Hmm. And everyone told me I was insane paying this kid to make a 10 inch f3 he was 14 at the time it was a year oh ago. My, oh my it was God. almost exactly a year ago i said I, I think like a year ago like tomorrow i could probably check if i scrolled up enough uh a year ago tomorrow or next week or something i said logan how much will you charge for a 10 inch f3 and he made a 10 inch f3 in a month and then i took wow. six months to even get it in a scope and now it's still sitting in an ota that needs a mount that i've used maybe three or four times and it is a really nice mirror it and you know it used to be you couldn't get sharp images with f3 scopes the Mm -hmm. coma correctors weren't good enough eyepieces weren't good enough if you get a a teleview paracore or an export scientific coma corrector and you get an ethos eyepiece it is every bit as sharp as an f5 or f6 scope and it's the images at high powers, which is harder to get high powers, are amazing. And the field of view at low power is incredible. Mm. 2.25 degrees. Wow. Which for a 10-inch, that's big. That's huge, yeah. And it's, it's perfectly sharp even at the edge. So you can, fit, you, know, you can fit the whole Andromeda galaxy or almost all of Orion's belt in the field. And it's really great on really faint stuff. It's also really great with night vision eyepieces, which I've tried with, with it a few times. Oh, really? Because of the faster focal ratio, yeah. Because huh. night vision works like a camera in right. terms of its sensitivity. Right. I've seen. I've actually only used it more with night vision than regular eyepieces. I've had it out with night vision three to, two or three times, and a regular eye and just regular eyepieces. I think I've used it twice, and but with either, it's just it's just incredible the views. Interesting. And Logan is uh, actually bringing uh, his ten inch f five and uh, six inch f three. Definitely the ten. I don't know if he can fit the six inch as well. The ten is a is a truss, and he's not even going to bring the poles. But uh, he's bringing those to Stellafane actually this summer as well, which oh, I'm, wow. I'm really excited about. Yeah, we've been That's we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah, we've been taught it'll actually be his first international flight and one of his first times on an airplane. Oh. Uh, we we've been talking about since like probably last summer about having him come to Stellafane this year, and we've we've uh, come up with we've come up with uh, an itinerary and everything, and we're going to order tickets probably in the next month or two. Great. Yeah, which I'm I'm really excited about. Uh, Logan Logan is probably is probably going to be like a mechanical engineer or something. I think he said he is a master at making mirrors and just tinkering with stuff. He 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 uh, like he's hyper tuned mounts. I think or done something to them. 
He uh, he made his own autofocuser for like a custom wide field astrophotography setup. He's made his own mirror grinding machines. Really? Um, yeah, quite the guy. Um, he made his whole ten inch f five, I think, in like two days. The new structure. <laughs> it it it. I will just say it looks really bad. I mean, my my early stuff looked bad, but mine didn't look like it was going to collapse <laughs> uh, at any given moment or so. Or like his looks like the focuser is going to fall off. Uh, no. And I was really skeptical, but I believe him. It does work, and he actually made a really cool collapsible truss system. It's really the epitome of it doesn't matter how it looks; it matters what the views are like. All right. the 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 how the housing is is it's not the prettiest, but the the bearings look pretty smooth to me. The mirrors like a tenth of a wave or something like that, and the. It, it works and it, it's portable and it's, it takes him like two minutes to set up, which is, you know, that's the important part. So, um, that, that, um, that, that thing works great. I, I can't wait to look through that too, actually. If it, if the F3 is any indication, the F5 is probably going to be a little better on planets, um, and easier to get high powers. And he did work on a 16 inch F3 meniscus, but the, the guy that slumped it, did a bad job and the it's and the back is not the right curve it's a meniscus shape so the back is convex and the front is concave to make it stronger and lighter and easier cool down but it it has he's been on he he says it's basically impossible to get a good figure on it because of the issues with the glass so now he's looking at uh making a refiguring a 16 to 18 inch primary maybe a 20 wow uh but that's he, fantastic. He's a bit low on funds at the moment because he's got to pay for uh, a trip to Europe as well as uh, expenses for coming here and um, and a bunch of other stuff. So how old is he? He's uh, fifteen. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. An- Anton just turned sixteen. Aaron is uh, seventeen, almost almost eighteen, I think. Uh, and then there's a, there's a couple more people making uh, scopes. Uh, another friend of mine who I, I I don't hear from him as much is Lance. Uh, Lance has been working on uh, his 12 inch, I think, actually for for probably two years, but now he's trying to get it done for his senior project for high school. And uh, unlike Logan, he's never used an Aaron. He has not used a machine at any point, so it'll be probably the largest completely handmade mirror by anyone under 18. Even if Logan comes along and makes like a 12 or 14 or 16 or 18 or whatever he's going to do. Uh, and, uh, he's working on the structure right now. I, I honestly don't hear a lot from him, so I don't know, but he has a power seeker 127 EQ and some binoculars. So going from that to a 12 inch daub is pretty big. That's yeah, impressive. And then, and then another friend of mine who I, I, I have, I'm just getting to know, uh, is work Hunter is working on a six inch F8 and, and he, he's never had a scope before. So I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, he his first scope is going to be completely homemade. And then then my friends uh, Winslow, Jordan, and Hazan are all using pre-made mirrors. Uh, Winslow's doing an 8-inch F6. He got some optics from a Chinese uh, uh, daub 8-inch F6, and he's putting them into this beautiful uh, square pine tube. And uh, he's got the tube done, and he's working on the mirror cell and whatnot right now. Hazan's doing a little six-inch F5 astrograph, and the thing I found really cool, I, I gave Hazan his mirror, actually, and uh, he uh, he fiberglassed the sauna tube he used for it, which is not something you hear about much these days, uh, using fiberglass for scopes at all. Right. 
Um, and he, he did it, uh, as practice for fiberglassing his car, I think. And, uh, <laughs> I actually, I need to ask him more about that. Cause I'm thinking of doing it for my six inch when I rebuild it. And, uh, that's going to be, I think an astrograph mo- and a wide field visual scope. I don't know. He's mo- He's, uh, just started on that like a couple weeks ago. And then, yeah, yeah. Go, on. go on, go on. Uh, and then my other, my, the last person, um, who I know of our age making scopes is, uh, my friend Jordan. Jordan and I actually met when I sold her a C8. Oh. And uh, she lives in it. She's from Atlanta. Uh, and she's she is working on an 11-inch F7. And you might be wondering, why an 11-inch F7? Uh, a friend of mine from uh, who runs one of the observatories around here uh, said, uh, Hey, Zane, I found, a, I think, a 12-inch or 10-inch mirror. And he just he whipped this thing out. It was in, like, some sort of weird box. And he said it was for, he said it was in like some kind of off axis telescope design. He didn't really know anything about it. it it's old. Mm-hmm. And I measured it. It's a, like a hair over 11 inches, F7 inch thick Pyrex. And I was like, there's, re- I, I thought about, do I sell this and get something else with it or what? Because there's not a whole lot of a market for 11 inch mirrors, especially not really long ones because right. it's an unusual size. So, designing a scope around it especially if you plan on using premium components which when you're making a long scope the people making those typically are using premium components because they want to make perfect planet killers and all that Mm -hmm. uh and so i i ended up giving her that mirror and it it uh it should be pretty good optical quality i tested it very briefly before i got rid of my tester to give to aaron actually i need to build another one and uh it looked it looked pretty good and she's got a mirror box done She's working on the cell for it now, and that that should be done in the next few months. All, all these scopes I've talked about, uh, except for Logan because he doesn't really have anything pending, they should be done in the next few months. Uh, and they're, the construction stuff from, from all these people, what they're doing is pretty cool. Like Aaron is 3D printing uh, a bunch, most of the, the tube. Uh, like the tube itself is not printed, but the, I think he's printing a spider, the end cells, the mirror cell. Uh, really? Is that, at a, is that a PLA? Yeah, yeah, just PLA. Wow. He's using his high school's 3D printer and designing the parts. He did these these end ring, a really nice end ring to protect the tube from from getting all splintered at the end because it's cardboard. Uh, the the focuser adapter he printed. He's printing a cell, an entire mirror cell right now, I think, huh. and a focuser adapter. And he the entire thing is painted on the inside with black 3.0, which. I, I personally didn't haven't found it to be that good. I, I like flocking material more, but mm-hmm. then uh, Jordan, her her uh, grandmother is like w- used to be like a semi professional at wood finishing, so the 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 stain on it so far looks looks really nice. And Winslow's grandfather is a what is like a cabinet maker, I think. And again, just you have so many you have so many different skill sets coming in here it, with with all these folks. It's it's really cool to see. Um, now do all eight know each other or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some of them like, uh, most of, most of us interact all together pretty often. Uh, do you have a space, do you have a location on the internet where you interact? Yeah, we or? do. We, we have like a little personal friend chat that we oh, have, okay. but it, it's, it's like not a big group or anything. We had a big group up till very recently, but it, it just, it didn't, we had a lot of issues running it and all that. And it, there was a lot of drama. So we we just decided to to kind of call it quits with that and just go yeah, back. To yeah, I'm not familiar with any organizations that are 
around telescope building. I don't know if there is any more or there are some. There are, but they're more kind of like they're they're not they're not like I don't know formal, I guess. Like the only thing ones I could think of would be the amateur telescope makers of Boston and the Springfield telescope makers. But as for like online communities, there's the Oregon Scope Works and I'm a member okay. of that. But that that's about it. Okay. Um, well good. So the internet brought you guys all together pretty much. Yeah. And and that's how you share ideas and things. Yeah, we would Sorry, my internet is being weird. Um, oh, you sound yeah, fine on this uh, one. I don't know what that what's causing that. It just gave me a notification saying that actually. Uh, and I, um, but yeah, without the internet, none of us would be doing what we're doing. I, I, like, it's not even just a function of meeting. We wouldn't have been able to get do any of this stuff. We wouldn't have access to the the kind of resources of folks out there on cloudy nights. Mm-hmm. Uh help us we wouldn't have had access to parts we wouldn't have had access to to just so many things so i i really think that the internet has has changed a lot of what makes telescope making tick yeah well this is this is fascinating and it's really it warms my heart because it's 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 you know i keep looking for part of the reason we did this the alp started this podcast is to energize young adults to get them into astronomy and like I said, you're the youngest person I've had on, which is great. And um, just hearing what your group is doing, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's really, really nice group, to see. But it, well, it, it's it's something. It's, I don't I don't really know what to call you, it. You, you, well, you're building telescopes, and that's great. Yeah, that's um, really great. I really didn't when I started. Uh, I really, I really was like, is this, is this just something that, that really old people do? I remember I was, when I was 14, I was like, is this something really old people do? Like, am am I going to like be like the last person making scopes if I keep doing this? And even, even when like Logan, Logan met and I met, we were like, are we going to, are we going to be the only ones doing this? And I, I really have been trying to, to change that. And it, it means a lot to me to see it grow and thrive. Yeah. Now, now, what are your future plans? So, right now, I uh, I still have to put the ten inch on a mount. The ten inch was in a strut tube design that I got rid of because too much light got into it and uh, it didn't balance because the tube was so light in relation to the eyepieces and coma corrector that the center of mass of the whole thing was like well outside of the tube. Mm. So no matter what I did, no matter where I placed the bearings, no matter how I counterweighted it, it was just so far off that it did not balance the, uh, I put it in an aluminum tube and now the, the thing weighs twice as much, but it's still only about a 25 pound tube. Uh, there's no light getting in. So the views are even better. And the, uh, the center of mass is a little more sane. I still need to put counterweights on it on the side just to, to balance counteract the eyepieces, but I'm, I'm working on putting it on a daub mount. I just, I want to do, do a daub mount that looks really nice and it's an aluminum tube. So you can't just crush it in a box the way a lot of cheap, uh, homemade daubs do mm-hmm. like my, my six inch did. There's no give. So, and an adjustable cradle is really big and massive. So I'm thinking of using like the tube rings. I had it on an equatorial mount, but the eyepiece just got into weird positions and it, it actually still had balance issues. Yeah, you do that. Then you rotated rings. That's a whole other thing you yeah. got to deal with. Yeah, and it I just didn't find it to be worth it. And then my next project that I'm working on right now is a 14.7 inch f 2.9, which 
usually that gets <laughs> that gets a lot of uh questions you're throwing these numbers out here that, that i've never heard of for telescopes so it's so the thing is that the 14.7 and you might be wondering about the size so it's a semiconductor it's a quartz semiconductor uh thingy 0.8 inches thick that people used to buy them up in mass from like a, a surplus store and now they're the supply of them is kind of dwindled but uh i got one of the last ones that nova optical had and i got it ground polished and figured into a an f it's actually f 2.89 i think it's 42 and a half inch focal length so um and i i did the math and the thing is that quartz is a little stronger than uh than regular glass or pyrex so i could get away with a six point cell which i am doing I just bought an Aurora Precision one. I was lazy. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I I can get away with that. Normally at these fast focal ratios, what you do is you pour uh, you pour the blank into a kiln and slump it in a meniscus, but that can go wrong. And I didn't feel like making a kiln or trying to basically get someone to let me pay them to do it. And then, right. then, I, then I'd have to make the mirror myself too. You can't just give one of those blanks to a professional optician. They'll tell you you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they don't, it'll cost a lot. So I just went and got the F 2.9 done out of this quartz blank. I don't know if it's going to work perfectly, but it's definitely going to work well enough for deep sky. And if the cell really is a big issue, I can upgrade it. I'm going to be a little unhappy if I have will to, be a but... fast system. That's for sure. Yeah. Collimating an F three is actually not as hard as one would think it, it. Um, a laser won't, I found a laser though is not enough. You really need to point it at a star. But the F3, the 10-inch F3 holds pretty well um, from horizon to horizon. Uh, I've transported it, and it, it held collimation. I, I, like, I just drove her one, the other day, I, I, a few days ago, or I don't even know. A while ago, I drove around in circles with the thing in the trunk. Like I just drove to school and back and did some errands and made sure to like go over some rather bu- uneven and bumpy roads. And I, I checked into the laser collimator when I got back, and it was still good. So, hmm. um and then I looked through it and it was still good. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing is that you get the nice exit pupil balance with a 21 millimeter ethos. The scopes are really designed around this one eyepiece, uh, which uh, is kind of a weird reverse. Normally you select eyepieces for a given scope and instead you, I'm building the scope around the eyepiece. But you get a nice, just around, I think, six millimeter exit pupil when you use a 21 ethos and a coma corrector with this thing. And you get a field of view that's, I think, about 1.8 degrees with the 14 inch, which is which is pretty cool. Because again, normally your average 14 inch, you're using a an f four and a half, f four, usually f four and a half. You're probably using a coma corrector, and if you're not using a coma corrector, you're probably not using the widest possible field eyepiece because of the coma. So you end up only getting a field of view that might be maybe one degree, maybe a little over that. With with this thing, you know, I'm I'm pushing 1.8 degrees, fully coma corrected. Wow! And it it just it's really great for fitting wide stuff. It's really great for making things easier to find, and the the immersive experience of being at that low power with the 21 ethos, but having all that light gathering ability. It's like, and I've only looked through the 10 inch, so I I really don't know what the 14 is going to be like. But if the the 10 is any indication, it's like having a fast it's like having an apo like a small apo but 
with with just way more aperture and it's it's incredible it's not it's not like any other scope there is these these rich field mm-hmm. uh instruments it's especially when the mirrors are well made it's just it's just mind blowing how, how thick is the 14 the the 14s 3 quarters of an inch oh but again my God. it's 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 quartz so it's equivalent to 1 inch so the center thickness is a little low uh-huh. but the thing is that the uh the center is being obstructed by a uh and actually a really oversized secondary mirror which i went with in part because of the fact that the very center might deform a little bit with this cell okay. i went with a 4.7 inch secondary which i could get away with a 4 inch or even a 3.7 but i went with a 4.7 so that if the thing does deform at the center i'm not going to know it's going to be interesting to see how temperature affects it as well too yeah but again quartz though so it, yeah. it shouldn't be that yeah. bad the 10 i found i find no issues with the temperature expansion at all it okay. cools it it's been it was pretty cold the last time i had it out it cooled in about 20 minutes it has a very open mirror cell and the images on the moon planets are tack sharp it it you it's easily just like looking through a zambudo which again is just a testament to logan's quality worksmanship there on the hey you know he's got years of experience <laughs> yeah one and a half <laughs> what maybe maybe one and three quarters now i think we uh, might be pushing my goodness and then my my uh thinking with the 14 inches i'm actually going to put it in a solid tube uh, because I, I was going for a truss. I had all the components for a truss. I bought a mirror cell that's kind of meant for a truss. And then I realized the upper tube assembly is 20 inches long. The mirror box is going to be 10 inches long. I'm only saving a little over, only 10 inches of it is actually trusses. And the, unless I did it as an ultralight, and then the ultralight has light, light issues because I don't really have super dark skies and I, I don't have any really dark ones w- that are easily accessible. I don't like dealing with shrouds. I don't like having all the optics exposed. So I just said, hey, I'll stick it in a tube. So I've been spending the past few days just trying to find a big tube, an 18-inch tube for it. But uh, I, found, I found a contractor supply for one. And it's just going to be a really, really stubby daub, which the 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 10-inch is also a really, really stubby daub. But the... Uh, the 14 inches worse because not only is it faster in focal ratio, but it has a mirror box at the bottom, like the old fashioned Dobsonians that Dobson made. So it's just going to look like it's going to look really like a cannon. Um, <laughs> and that, and uh, as for after that, I really don't know. Okay. Cause uh, I'm, I'm going to be going into my, uh, my, my uh, junior year of college this fall. So I, I don't really want to build a scope that's so big that when I move out, I, I don't really have anywhere to put it or just anywhere to conveniently put it. True. I got a 17 and a half inch Coulter mirror on eBay recently. I oh my goodness. It, it shipped this morning. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It was such a good deal though. And I have all the trust components from the 14 inch that I'm now not using. So okay. I'm thinking of if that thing's good, getting it coded or if not, maybe refiguring it or getting it refigured and putting in a scope because the mirror was a few hundred bucks. A secondary is a hundred dollars. You know, I need to spend like, I'm looking at maybe spending another like 300, $400 on just on components. And then like a hundred dollars on wood. And I've already got the trust components. I could build a scope with it for relatively little money. And if I really don't need it or anything, I, I can get rid of it. But I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to sell the trust components either. There's not a lot of demand for them. That would make me a lot of money. 
So I, I'm thinking I might just build a 17 and a half inch and Hey, you know, for, for galaxies and things, it'll be a oh, little yeah. better. No, than, that, than Coulter had really good optics too. Yeah. Back, it, back the there's day. a misconception that they're bad. And that's oh. for two reasons. Number one is people bought them and then put them in really bad mirror cells. Right. Or the stock Coulter ones were not great either. And then in the nineties, they got bought out by Mernagan instruments and they started making them out of really thin, bad, I think oh. plate glass actually. And those things are terrible. Oh. But the, the pre like 1994. Or whatever, yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking the old style Coulter optics. Yeah. So those are the ones I, I remember looking. Through. I've built, I haven't even talked about my old scopes that I built. Um, but I built a 10 inch F 5.6 with a Coulter mirror. Best few Mars I ever had. You could see Nix Olympica. You could see a hint of, uh, I don't know what the, what, what the old fashioned designation, but Valus Marinaris, so you could actually see a little bit of, I, uh, I think that one I did, I saw the brown spot on Ganymede with actually too. Oh my goodness. My, my 16 inch, my 16 inch, I don't know where the mirror from that came from. I got it in a trade from a friend and it was old plate glass with like a chip on the edge. And I put it on a, like a belt for a mirror sling. It was really, really poorly constructed. Uh, that scope, you know, it had the chain that I mentioned. It, it had the the belt for a sling. It had square truss poles. Turned out the secondary mirror was like in two inches off center. Oh. Uh, I don't even know how the thing worked, but um, I used a bed sheet as a shroud. <laughs> hey, that thing, that thing, that thing on planets and galaxies, really everything was amazing. And I sold that to fund my 20 inch, 20 and a half inch, which had a two wave primary mirror that I never bothered to properly test and was horrible. Hmm. And you said you're going to Stella Fan this year. Gonna yeah. bring bring a couple scopes up there. And yeah, I'm probably I'm probably gonna have the 14, but I might do the 10. It it really comes down to to packing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like to bring both the 14 and 10 inch and like enter the the 10 inch F3 as a joint entry with Logan. But if I had to choose one scope, I'd probably bring the 10. But if there's enough room for the fort to bring the 14 instead of the 10, I I don't know. It really just depends on my experience using both those scopes, which I've hardly gotten to have, yeah. and how much room we have in the car for yeah. that. When, when, when is Stellafame? It's uh, I think this year it's August thirteenth. Okay, All right, so you, uh, got some, you got you got a little bit of time. Yeah, because I figure it's going to be at least at least another month or two till I have the ten running again, and the fourteen I might actually construct. I have spring break in two weeks. I might construct the 14 inch pretty fast to go to the Staunton river star party. If I go to that, because hmm. otherwise I don't think I could, it actually is probably going to be harder to build a new mount for the 10, the way I want it than to build the 14. And if I don't do that, I'm stuck with my C eight, which ah. I love my C eight. It's one of the first C eights ever made. It has hand figured optics. As far as I'm aware, I am having when the orange ones. Re- yes, but it, oh. it's the, it's one of the tricolor ones. Oh, number oh, wow. seven forty seven. It had the failed paint, the Velvetone, that I'm having. A, a, I know a guy in my astronomy club who owns an auto body shop, and he's repainting it. He offered to repaint the whole thing for free for me, and he's doing that right now, which I'm really grateful for, right. and that should be done soon. What's your astronomy that's club? The Westport Astronomical Society. That's the, that's the closest one to me, okay. but I'm also a member of the uh, Westchester Amateur Astronomers, the uh, Astronomical Society of Greenwich, the Astronomical Society of New Haven, the Litchfield Hills Amateur Astronomy Club, which I just joined and haven't been to yet. Uh, the and uh, I might I've been to a couple of their one of their events and I might join the skyscrapers of Rhode Island. They're they're a really wonderful group. They invited <laughs> me to speak there and I got to see their observatory. It, oh, it, I'm sure these it, clubs it, want to get their claws into yeah. you. 
Oh, the <laughs> skyscrapers, they have an original 8-inch F-15, or no, F-13 Alvin Clark. Oh. No, but it gets better. It has the original weight drive. So someone has to stand there and crank the motor drive up to oh. use it, and it only tracks for 30 minutes. But the, <laughs> the views, I only got to look through it with like a 25-millimeter orthoscopic, which was kind of a low power, but but the moon and Saturn with that. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it every time, for. every time I, I, I say, I don't want a refractor again, I don't yeah. want a refractor again. I look through a big refractor like that, or I look through a really nice APO and I, I think to myself, I don't know. Yeah. I had a, I had a Takahashi FC 76 oh. and I, I loved that scope, but mm-hmm. my issue with it was it was so expensive yep. that I, I couldn't get myself to, to use it. I was like, what if I ding it? What if some kid grabs it and yeah. it, it lived in its case a lot more than it should have. So I, I sold it. And, oh my uh, goodness! And also, I I bought it kind of for astrophotography, which has been something I've been in and out of a lot because of differing priorities, laziness, and funds. Well, Zane, you have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, not a, not a lot of money. Uh, I've <laughs> I've actually paid for all of my stuff myself from the be- from the beginning after my first scope for Christmas and a few birthday presents. It's just been me. And uh, what I what I do is I um. I, I used to write for a telescope review website, but that never made me a ton. It was helpful, but most of what I do is I buy used scopes, refurbish them, fix them, and I resell them. And it 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 has been it's honestly half of why I do it is for, for the fun, but it helps with paying for stuff a lot because people think, and I, I really this is really probably my number one thing that I that I, I love to say is people need to stop thinking telescopes are magic. They're not magic. They're glass. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I find is that people think, especially Schmidt Cassegrains, are magic. They are not magic. People are so scared of dismantling them, though, that they will sell them for nothing or practically give them away because there's a dust, there's like a bunch of dust in it. There's dead bugs in it. There's spiders in it. My favorite was I got a C8 once that someone had said there was a slug in in it somehow and there was a like slug? slug a slug a slug there was slug residue all over it uh-huh. i i actually it was the fastest cleaning of a scope i've ever done though because it rinsed right off oh my goodness yeah because it's, it's like mucus it, it dissolves yeah. in water and it, it it the scope looked brand new after just taking the corrector out but people think you can take the corrector out that if you don't that you're not going to rotate it back right or whatever which I don't understand that. The correctors have labeling on them half the mm-hmm. time that helps you. And if, if they don't, there's the indexing marks. It's the easiest thing. I've And I've seen people who are scared of collimating SCT, schmidt cassegrains because, yeah. because they're afraid that, that they'll mess something up. People have, I see posts on Cloudy Nights all the time. People return their scopes to the factory to get them collimated. And then they get miscollimated in shipping. Oh, my. And people always ask me when they buy them, too. Has it been collimated? Uh, yeah. But even if it's not, it might not be when it arrives. Right. That's a fact. It, right. And but uh, that those are those are my scopes that I that I adore the most because they're they're very easy to refurbish. They're usually the highest quality mechanical construction of any type of scope that you can buy, mm-hmm. and they're they're com- they're really common. I've had twenty C eights alone. Really? I've looked through all of them. Yeah, I've looked through every single one. Uh they may not look like they've ever been looked through some of them, but I I've looked through every C8 I've ever had. And I, I, I gotta say, I, I really love those scopes. Even the ones that are mediocre optically, they just have, now, where do you, where do you find them? 
Uh, most of them now on, I just find them on cloudy nights. Okay. eBay, eBay is a big one. Uh, occasionally Craigslist, not a lot of luck with that. Or, uh, sometimes what I'll also do is one of the Westport club, especially they'll ask me to go pick up a scope that's being donated to them. And it's always fun because usually they don't, the people donating it have no idea what they have. Right. Or they just can't be bothered to describe it. My favorite, my favorite two are one time this guy wanted to donate a 10 inch daub and it looked like a Celestron star hopper and it looked to be in good shape. I get there. It was rotted. Like the whole thing was rotted. The coatings were failed. He was basically giving us a a hunk of garbage so he could get a tax write off. But there was a mirror in it and the mirror once recoded would still work. So I I sold that and like the focuser off it. And I I took the Teflon off for myself. So the other (laughs) one was an Orion XT 12 I that was given to us. And I was told, I'm pretty sure the guy said in the email, it was a 10 inch. So I, I drove there during lunch break. I go, I'm in community college and I drove there during my lunch break to pick it up with thinking, Oh, it's going to be a 10 inch job. I'm going to load it in the car. No, it's a 12. Now it, it not just, it's a 12, it's a 12 with a base that I don't have any tools to dismantle. And it's a solid tube. Uh, so, and it was covered in it was covered in like mouse droppings. So that was that was fun loading that into the car, decontaminating it, decontaminating my car, and then finding there was a dead bug on the mirror, and the bug blood <laughs> was acidic and had eaten oh. away at the coatings. So, I, believe it or not, I took that to a club, an astronomy club star party, and tested it. Most beautiful moon, view of the moon I've ever seen through that scope. Hmm. Never would have guessed it. Wow. It was amazing. Unfortunately, what was not amazing was the fact that it was the size of a water heater and had a rack and pinion focuser on it. Yeah. So I sold that to some guy in New Hampshire. And then another, and uh, yeah, I, I have, I've worked with so many scopes and that's really how I learn about building them, honestly, and just by how, and uh, about using and maintaining them is just taking them apart, cleaning them, fixing them, having to do research on what they are. That, that for me is how I, how I've learned with it. And I've, I've <laughs> seen some, I've seen some amazing stuff. I with looking through and at and taking apart these things. Like I had a C11 once that I got for almost nothing with no corrector. Oh. And so I was like, Oh, it comes with counterweight brackets. Those are worth a few bucks. I'll buy it. It was like, so you just, like you just strip them down and sell it for parts. No. Huh? I, I will, if it's not usable. So the other thing I'll do though is do a Franken scope. And this thing, somebody offered me a C11 corrector for a pretty decent price. And I know you're not supposed to do this. I always say to people, don't buy a new corrector for your Schmidt Cassegrain. It will not work well. They have to be matched optically. But for the price that I was being offered for that corrector, I said, hey, you know what? It'll be fun. And it's probably still worth more than I'm paying. So whatever. And I bought it. And I put, the, I spe- then I proceed to spend the money to put the scope on a mount. And I look through it. And I'm thinking, oh my God, it's going to be so bad. 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 I'm going to regret this whole decision. I wasted a ton of money. Best view of Saturn I've ever had. Yeah. NK division. Only time I've ever seen the NK division in a scope. Really? Oh, yes. wow. Through this C11. I had a friend of mine who worked, who, who's like a retired optician look through it. He said it was like an eighth of a wave. The thing had almost no image shift. It was incredible. And I would have kept it, except it was, you know, a, 
a C11 and required a 100-pound equatorial mount to haul around it, right. on it. And setting that up was a chore. The biggest issue is just hoisting the scope up above my shoulders onto the mount mm-hmm. and always worrying that I was going to drop it. If it, if it actually if it weren't for that actually I probably would have kept it then the, the narrow field of view I I probably should still have it I sold it thinking the 10 inch was going to be wor- working and done soon and the 10 inch is still not working and done and I sold that thing <laughs> I sold that thing four months ago Ugh. and then I I recently got a me 2045 that the guy on eBay hadn't told me there was no primary mirror Ooh. Which is funny because normally it's the corrector that's missing. So that's easy to figure out. The uh, the primary being missing is not something I've seen before. So the guy gives me a refund and didn't want it back. And I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to throw this out or give it away for like $10. Because it, it's a corrector plate in a secondary mirror. It's not very useful. And then I find a broken Mead, 20, Mead 107D spotting scope. Which that's a mirror lens and not a Schmitt-Cassegrain. But I figured, hey... That broken one is only $50. This was free. I'm out 50 bucks if this doesn't work. And they should work because the F2 primary is spherical in both. And Mead does not tweak the primaries. So it should be an exact match. Because I have the original corrector and secondary, which is what matters. The C11, I didn't have the uh, secondary for the corrector. So the fact that it worked was more of a miracle. Um, so I put the optics I put the optics together in that thing. And that was a few weeks ago. And it worked very nice. And uh, I, I I gave that away for a pittance. I forget. I think it was like to a kid or something. I don't remember. Hmm. Um, but you know, the the fun of just trying new scopes ha- is is really fun. Someone said I rent them almost because I, <laughs> I I barely keep anything I have. Like I might have I might have a dozen scopes on me at any time, and they're mostly like cheap sixty millimeter refractors. I have a shed full of sixty millimeter refractors right now. I think those things reproduce. <laughs> and but it's always fun trying a new one even if you know the views are probably going to be the same right. through every single one there's just hey, don't, it, don't knock the 60 millimeter yeah. refractor oh yeah i do not i and, do not and... knock the 60 millimeter refractor yeah. i've been i've been tweaking a couple right now I, I found a new home for one tomorrow it's going to this high school student this girl from who who went to an astronomy club uh thing i was at last week and i was like hey do you want a free scope oh my goodness and people always think you're weird when you offer them free stuff like that for me, for me, it's, it's, I got, I got offered and given a lot of free stuff when I started out and I wouldn't be doing what I do without the generosity of all the folks on cloudy nights and in my astronomy clubs who've been so generous with their time and, and uh, equipment and stuff. So I, and now of course that seems to have lessened and it's a lot harder for a lot of people to kind of get the connections necessary for that to happen so i i always try to you know re- repay my debt indirectly by by giving out as much stuff as i can and that's why i've given out mirrors i've given out scopes yeah, pay it forward a little bit yeah one time uh there was this kid i found on a, an astronomy chat room who he'd won an eight inch daub for christmas so badly and he had thought he was going to get it he got a big box right the day before christmas he was sh- sure it was the eight inch daub and he opens it, and it's a department store 80 millimeter refractor that his parents got ripped off on. Uh, they couldn't afford the they couldn't afford a six inch, let alone mm-hmm. an eight inch dob like he'd wanted. And I happened to have an Orion six inch star blast sitting around, and I I said to this kid on Christmas Day, I was actually in Italy on vacation when I heard about this, and I said, "Tell you what, 
oh, I'm gonna get home soon. I'm gonna I, I already have a box for that thing. I will box that up and give it to you for free. Merry Christmas. And that hmm. and and I'm like, and you could return you can return your department store scope and buy some eyepieces and books. There you go. And so I, I did that. And That's very cool. Yeah, I do that. I've done that probably like 10 times. I've probably given out like 10 or 20 scopes. I, I don't even keep track because if I keep track. I might start to question why I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> it's better to just forget. But, you know, I, I, I could, I couldn't have gotten what I have if people hadn't been kind to me and pe- people are still way, way more generous with me than they, they probably should. And you know, I, if I can do anything to, so that more folks have the experience I I've gotten in, in the astronomical community and in the hobby, I, I try to make that happen. That's why I, I talk about ATM and I, I, I do what I do. And that's crazy. That's really important to me. It's really, really good to hear. It's really good to hear. Now you said you're going to college. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in my, uh, my, uh, sophomore year of community college. Uh, and I, I graduate from it this spring along with okay. my high school diploma and then i'm i'm going off to a four-year college after oh, what do you want to do um i'm thinking actually poly education or field geology because being an astronomer or engineer requires being good at math and i'm currently uh getting a c average in algebra so i've, I've never done anything beyond algebra because i keep getting like c's or d's in it so it takes one thing to click in your brain. I was the same way growing up and now I work for NASA as an engineer. So mm-hmm. it just, uh, it's, it's, I, I can understand it. I just hate doing it. It's not uh, just that I don't get it. It's just, it sucks the joy out of my day doing okay. my math. I just, I just start like I've, I've had my friends help me with it and I just, I'll just start screaming at it. Now it's online math homework for this college class. I just start screaming at my computer about the math because it's, it's so infuriating. Cause even if I get it, it's just, it, it just doesn't, click in my brain what what clicks in my brain is getting is talking about talking about science and talking about space and getting people excited about it that that for me is more is more exciting than doing it because you know i could be one person that does science and there are there are a lot of people who can do that besides me i could i could do science i could do engineering or i could be the person who maybe gets you know if i get three people who wouldn't have otherwise done something to do something in that field or do something important in science or engineering that that to me is far better than if i myself do it and especially when i'm probably not going to be as good at it as a lot of other people could anyways well that's exactly what you're doing when you rebuild these telescopes and give them to people that want them and that, that will use them too yeah um yeah sorry no that's that, that's you're fine uh yeah i for me, like being, being an educator and being a science advocate is just something that I, I've always, I've always wanted to be because, you know, it, it takes a lot of, I think sometimes it can take a lot of work to really reach people when it comes to space and science and technology. And once you, and sometimes like it takes the strangest things to get them interested, but once they're there and they're excited, it's like, you've just opened up a whole new world to them. And that's just a great feeling to see, you know, and I like once, like, I remember there was a guy on, there was a a friend of mine who he had just gotten his, he had just gotten his first scope for Christmas and he had agonized over the decision. And I, I had recommended him a six inch daub and 
I just I just remember the the how crazy he went the first time he pointed it at the moon and at the Orion Nebula. Or that can I give the Star Blast to? I remember like the first time he he looked at uh the moon with it, or all those people at at, at public events and just just hearing the the just seeing the the joy of discovery. I guess is is so valuable to me and so it makes me so happy. That's that's what I live for. You know, that's great. That's great. On that note, if people want to get a hold of you, how could they contact you? Um, I'm sure you might you might get some fans from this. Yeah. Uh, so I have an Instagram. I don't love Instagram, but okay. it's probably the that or my or messaging me on cloudy nights is probably the best way to get my attention. You're not on the Twitter or anything like that. No, no, okay. no. I I thought about it, but the, to me, the cons outweigh the pros. Instagram for me was a momentous decision, and it's resulted in a lot of drama. And a lot of stuff. So I, I actually at times have thought, hmm, maybe I should get rid of it. But I don't know. For me, Instagram is the least toxic form of social media because it's like the least text interaction possible right. unless you directly message somebody. So uh, you can reach me on that. It's uh, I think it's uh, what is it? It's uh, ZD Landers on Instagram. Or you can message me on Cloudy Nights, which Cloudy Nights, when you message me, it automatically sends me an email. Right. And I... Even if it somehow didn't, I am checking cloudy nights roughly every fifteen minutes. Constantly. Yeah, you, you got right back to me when I when I messaged you on yeah, that. Yeah, so. my my thing. Yeah, it emails me when I get a new mess when I get a new uh, message thread start, and then I, I have it set up for that. And I am going on there roughly every fifteen to twenty minutes if I have uh, the ability to access my phone or computer for two reasons: number one, to check on the forum posts, and number two, to check on the classifieds. Okay, <laughs> I hear you on that. Um, well, well, unless there's anything else you'd like to add, uh, I, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me. It's, it's a, it's a great opportunity, especially when there there's audiences like the people listening on here who may not have seen all of my other stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I know not everybody uses cloudy nights. Not everybody's on Instagram, especially, but you know, a, a lot of people don't go on cloudy nights because it, it can be a lot. And, or just, if you feel like a lot of people feel like there's nothing they need to add or ask questions about, there's a ton of content on there. Um, yeah, it, a lot of people, I think just scroll through it. So they don't, they may not necessarily interact with me or they may not go through stuff. That's not particularly relevant to what they're doing, but, um, it is a great resource. I highly recommend it, but yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me and, and allowing me to reach this audience and uh, clear skies, I guess. Yeah. I, I really, um, it's, a, I, it's yeah. been a pleasure having you on. Zane. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank our special guest, Zane Landers, for coming on and giving us some excellent discussion about his telescope making and what he's doing with other people and the fine work he's doing uh, donating telescopes to people that want one. Thanks a lot, Zane. That was fun. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month where you will receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop, for his generous support 
of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the ALPO is in the show notes. You can contact me with show ideas or comments or suggestions at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.